Hello everyone and welcome to the Roots of Founder. Today I'm talking to Paul Millard, author of The Pathless Path. We are talking about all things choosing your own path today. How to not go for the default option that everybody else wants you to take, but forging your own journey through your life using entrepreneurship, maybe, maybe other things. You'll find out in this conversation with Paul Millard. Here's Paul. I've been reading your book, The Pathless Path, and it has been a wonderful mind-expanding read for me. I think it's a great metaphor, like the whole book and every concept in it. And it's likely one that my audience of founders and creators who are listening and people who are generally are just ready to go on their own journey are ready to learn about. So please tell me, enlighten me and the listeners, what is The Pathless Path? So the, the, the Pathless Path is a phrase and my book is sort of taken on a life of its own. And at this point, it's sort of released into the world and I let people tell me what it means to them. I think for some people, it is permission to bet on themselves. For other people, it's sort of a nice hug from a friend uh, on an uncertain journey without much support. Other people, it's like, oh man, maybe this is you. I wish I had this 10 years ago. That's all. That's also me. Like... <laughs> I wish I had this. And I think it's my own sense making of what does life look like not centered around work? And sort of my accidental stumbling into, oh, there's a different mode of life you can exist in, in which you actually like your work that will make everything else seem silly and wants you to... and nudge you to want to build your whole life around that. And that's sort of what I discovered throughout my journey. And it's still pretty not, I mean, it's still not a widely held view of the world. And it's just like, wow, I feel like I have this secret knowledge. Other people are telling me the same thing. I need to uh, get it out there into the world. And that's what I did with the book. Yeah, it definitely sounds like the community that we're in, the, the indie hacker or the creator economy, whatever you want to call it, is more susceptible to the concept. I, I, I honestly, before I read the book, I thought um, I'm living my life in a way that is not conventional. But after I read the book and was presented with the word, now I have a phrase for it. Now I have the vocabulary to actually express it, right? Because I've, I've been trying to fight narratives that other people try to instill in me for most of my adult life. And now that I see this in a cohesive unit as the book, it feels like, yes, this is exactly what I've been doing. I'm glad there's another one. There's something that you wrote in a book that I really enjoyed. It's like, find the others. That's one of the, the kind of the tenets of going on that path, right? Generally, generally, you present the idea as there's the default path that everybody is supposed to take. And there's the path, path, pathless path that people take because they have chosen not to go with the default route. And in the default, default route, everything is kind of, predetermined and people tell you where to go you know where you need to go because you have yeah. these goals already set for you and if you if you take a path that is less like this going at it alone becomes complicated right it's it's not as easy as follow the career ladder that somebody else is laid out for you so how do you find the others how did you do this like you you definitely you made the choice at some point to quit and get into this nomadic lifestyle that you that you had at some point in your life how did you find the others? Did you look for them or did they just come to you? <laughs> you said it's complicated to do it without people. I think it's impossible to do it without finding the others. I think this is probably way more important than making money, though people don't believe that in their bones and you need to work through your fear, fear and money relationship. But basically, I it took me forever to leave the default path because I had no people around me taking unconventional or different paths. I didn't have the imagination because I didn't see people around me and say, oh, there's somebody like me doing something different and I could be like that. Eventually, I just got so fed up and I left. And I felt really alone. Like I couldn't communicate what I was going through. It was like, People are like, aren't you worried about income? That's all my default path friends would say. And it's like, yes, of course, but I'm more afraid of having to go back and get a job. <laughs> and I sort of, like, I think in my first year I struggled, but 
I started sharing more. I was actually living out what I was claiming to care about instead of complaining about my boss or company. And I started attracting people. It was very slow at first. 2017 was a much harder time to find the others. Now it's way easier with communities like Indie Hackers, uh, Nomad List, um, Twitter especially. But it was hard back then. I met some people at a conference in New York. One thing led to another. And one of those first people I met actually led to the naming of my book. So it sort of speaks to the serendipity of how these things happen. Somebody I met at a conference said, you have to meet this guy, Stephen Worley. And he had been doing a podcast for years about unconventional paths called Unstuckable. This is like 10 years ago. I met him. Not only did he eventually take over my lease in Boston as I moved to Asia, he said, you have to go to World Domination Summit. This is where the unconventional people are. I went there. I made like three or four great friends. One of them was Johnny Miller. And Johnny Miller, the second day after I met him, he walks up to me and he goes, here, you have to read this book. <laughs> it was David White's The Three Marriages. And in that book was the phrase, The Pathless Path. And David White writes about this pathless path is like, you're not supposed to know what this phrase means, but it sort of takes over everything and becomes an explanation. And that phrase, <clears throat> then when I met my wife later, was the phrase we kind of gravitated to together to sort of describe our shared journey. So it's kind of funny how these things happen, but without finding the others, none of this happens. And none of it is fun along the way. I would have just been like building a business, but... Really, I've wanted to build a life, and that's what my, what my book is really about. That's so cool. I, I love this. This, this is the idea of you going to a conference and then just serendipity taking you onto this, this journey, right? Or you already being on the journey and the winds of serendipity just pushing you slightly, nudging you into a different direction. That's awesome to me. Honestly, conferences, I think... Um, particularly conferences that you've never been to before, where you're not a regular, but new ones are quite powerful. I think for me, when I went to MicroConf the first uh, couple months after we sold our business back in 2019, I I didn't expect th this to be a, like a pivotal point in my life. And it's, it's not even that the MicroConf was a conference that was way out of where I was. I was a software engineer building a software business. MicroConf is exactly for those people. But what I learned there was like standing on stage and telling people my experience, sharing what I know, helping other people find their way. That's something I enjoy because I didn't know that about me before. I didn't know that I wanted to write. I didn't know that I wanted to, you know, speak and teach. But just getting the opportunity, being invited on stage to, to give like an attendee talk wasn't even scheduled, right? It the idea was, oh yeah, sure, talk about what you just did. And I, I did, and I liked it. And ever since then, that's what I've been doing. And I met people there, just like you said, that have that have in increased uh just the, the whole the potential that I have in the world by just exposing me to other ideas and other concepts. It's funny that that is something that I can resonate with with my own experience. It's really it's really nice. It's nice to see that if you if you just choose to act. Like the, the impetus of action just pushes you forward to, to explore these things much more. I, I really like that. I think people underestimate this and people think, oh, I need to have my income replaced before I leave my job. I need to have a plan. I need to know what I'm doing. But literally just taking an action will lead to more actions, right? And Toby Lutka has this phrase I heard on a recent podcast he did where it's like, change is information. The problem on my previous path is I was tricking myself into believing I was changing things up. I was only changing jobs in the same career narrative and trajectory of my life, which was really freaking boring and dumb and not aligned with what I actually cared about. And eventually over time, you become cynical and disconnected from what you care about. So I think what happened at those series of conferences, it was multiple conferences, is that I got rid of that heavy weight over me. And I would just show up and say, I quit my job. I'm freelancing, aka I don't really know what I'm doing. Right. Uh, but 
the magic of that was that for the first time I met people not based on how much money I was making or what status rung I was in. I was meeting people on shared vulnerability, right? And this is the magic of meeting other people on unconventional paths is you can bond over your shared not knowing what the hell you're doing this. And that leads to some really powerful friendships. And what I found is basically I've bootstrapped a life. And because of that, the people around me, they inspire me to keep going, bet on myself, believe in myself to write books, like models like you, you've written multiple books. It's like, oh, if Arvid could do it, I could do it, right? And it's so arbitrary, but it's so powerful too. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I, th- I think just seeing people do stuff and being around them, right? It's, that's that's why I'm so big on, on building in public because not only is it a really nice way of marketing whatever you're doing and showing the world what you have to offer, that's great, but it, it has such an inspirational power for everybody else around you. Like just by acting, even in your own interest, right? Talking about the things that you're doing to make money, you're already lifting other people up who, who just see you for the first time and see that it's possible. I think you, you write about this like in your book, even at a very early stage when you were still like full-time consulting, like a business consultant, you started seeing... Uh, part-time consultants, like freelance consultants that just came in for, for particular projects and then left again, who sometimes worked for half a year and then went half a year and traveled or, you know, worked a couple days a week and did other things as a side project. And I think just being exposed to this sometimes can just change the way you think about work. I really, really appreciated that about how you wrote about your own journey. It, it was very clear that you just you leveled up your your enlightenment about what it means to to make an impact in the world right you had all these goals that somebody else set for you because you were surrounded by people who were following the regular default track and then you just saw other people who had different goals and all of a sudden it became obvious that oh you don't have to follow that singular set of goals you can have your own goals it's really nice and i think the phrase that i want to talk to you about because i found it um, quite the thought of it invigorating in, in terms of what we currently are experiencing in the world of entrepreneurship. You call people who go on the default path hoop jumpers, like people who jump through hoops that you know are set out for them to jump through. And I was wondering because you know, as bootstrappers, we are a, a small indie community and we don't really have much media representation. Most media representation around our field is. VC funded businesses. It's like the big, I need to be a massively funded entrepreneur to be an entrepreneur. And that to me sounds again, like hoop jumping, like you need to get the yeah. credibility that an, an investor gives you. Are we chasing the wrong dreams or more or less is the media attention just on other hoop jumpers? And that makes us also want to jump these hoops. What's, what's your perspective on this? Yeah, I think so. I think Prestige is basically what we pay attention to or what we think other people pay attention to, right? This is common knowledge. Common knowledge is knowing what other people think. Um, Everyone thinks this, right? That is the default path. And the truth is people pay attention to starting a company. That is a legible and credible path in the world. If you tell people, so I I quit my job almost six years ago. I was becoming a freelancer, but that story did not pass the boomers sniff test. <laughs> like people are like, what do you mean? What's your plan? You don't, you, if, but if I had said I'm starting a company, they probably would have been like, oh yeah, that's a thing people should do, right? Just because it is out there, it's a known thing. Maybe less so in the East Coast where I'm from in the US and more on the West Coast. But yeah, that's a thing people do. And there's a legible path. You raise money, then you raise more money, then you hire a team, you scale, you go big, you exit, and then you have your existential crisis and then eventually reach out to us and ask what the hell, what the hell am I doing? Um, But yeah, it's a legible path. And I think I didn't write about this in the book, but I call these hustle traps. And the core issue people are trying to solve is that I feel like I need to do something. I need to be special. I need, I'm a worker in the world. And where I come at it in my book is starting from the assumption that we are in fact not workers. There are some people that are possessed with, 
otherworldly effort um, and like enthusiasm toward extrinsic goals. We most people are not those people. I suspect you and me are not those people. Um, <laughs> we Definitely don't have not. that, right? <laughs> yes. We can only do things we're actually interested and excited by, right? So the mistake is taking other people's goals for your own. That's what I call a hustle trap, right? You actually need to start from within. And the problem with that is to go within in today's world, which many people have not done early in their life, it's been undermined by school and jobs, is that it usually involves a season of wandering and non-doing. <laughs> it involves getting lost to a degree, trying random things, taking time off. And that does not fit the story in people's head about what you're supposed to be doing in life, which is essentially working all throughout adulthood, right? So you need to go within and figure out what actually fires you up. If starting a company is the path for you, fantastic. But don't do it in a very like short-sighted way. I see a lot of people quit their jobs thinking they want to start a startup, but then they have a taste of space and looseness and lightness in their life, and they're like, ah, not for me. Yeah, makes sense. You, you described, uh, you just mentioned non-doing. That's something that, that really stood out to me because, you know, there, there are many different ways that we talk about our life when we don't work. And I think you, you in, the, in the book, you point out there used to be something we called leisure and it was a thing that we actually wanted to do, right? That work was the not at leisure part. So you can be at leisure. That was the general idea for most of humanity's life, that you work as much as you need to be able to not have to work, which has been completely perverted. And now even the word leisure has a negative connotation as if you are avoiding work which is this glorious thing to do. So what is the, dif the difference for you between non-work, leisure, and I guess laziness? That would be like the most negative version of that that I could find. Are they the same or do they, do they differ? Yeah, so I would say like there's doing, right? Doing stuff. All of us know how to do that in today's world. It's like programmed into us from birth. You must do stuff. You can't just not work. All these phrases we have, right? People get so nervous. I, I had a productive Sunday. I got so much done. It's like, what does that mean, right? But the opposite of doing is not actually like non-doing for most people. It's something also a older term called acedia, right? Which means spiritual or mental sloth, right? So I think when people are talking about laziness, it's really a byproduct of building your life around too much doing, right? You've lost connection to what matters with you internally. Whereas like leisure is a whole nother axis. Like leisure can be passive, the contemplative mode. Maybe you don't do anything actively for weeks. Or leisure can be the active mode. I find writing to be incredibly leisurely. It's delightful. I love it. And when I don't feel like doing it, I just don't do it. And I feel connected. I feel energized while I'm doing it. And it doesn't feel hard. It is It's not hard effort-wise. It's hard in like a skill-wise. It's like, oh, I'm, it's going to take me a lifetime to get good at this. But it is not hard in terms of like aligning with my natural flow of life. Do you consider this to be, I mean, the whole conversation feels like it's, it's a privileged thing. That's, that's kind of where I'm going with this. Like the, 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 the having the choice even not to force yourself to work to make ends meet. That, that alone is a privilege that not everybody has. You described this in, in the early chapters of your book, like when you describe where you're coming from, right? That you had these wonderful parents that did everything so you could mm -hmm. live a, a life of, you know, of optionality, of choice, of, a, of not being like forced into anything. But you say your dad worked like 10, 12 hours a day for 40 some years in the same company just to en empower you to do what you're doing. Did he have a choice or... Are there people like him out there that should have the choice but don't? In his head, he didn't have a choice. Oh, okay. I think gr growing up, both my parents believed the story that because they didn't have degrees, they didn't have choices. 
I don't fully believe that, but given their worldview, I think that was the case, right? And increasingly more people have options and possibilities. I think at this point in our world, more people than ever have the possibility of exploring different paths. I think the weird thing about this is that people say, because my parents suffered, I should suffer. And that doesn't perfectly make sense. Like we're not, we're not trying to pass on suffering, <laughs> right? And the challenge too is like, my father was working in manufacturing, building stuff, working on the factoring floor, and he actually liked it. The problem is too many people in today's world are actually actually suffering doing absolutely meaningless work, producing reports that don't need to be produced for bosses that are totally unsure why they're doing what they're doing, but they're just going along with it, right? And a lot of people, I call this like self-gaslighting, is like, don't you think it's wrong to like actually pursue your own path. And it's like, that's kind of weird. Like if, if you ha- have the possibility to potentially show up in the world in a, a larger and more loving way, like why not do it? Mm-hmm. Yeah, it, it's, I, I've been thinking about this earlier today and, and just uh, there was something in my mind was like, is it selfish to be on the default path or is it is it selfish to be on the pathless path? Because in, in some ways you could argue that people who go the default route, right, highly competitive, everything's for me and nothing for them, they are the selfish ones. But, you know, you, you have this good egg, bad egg uh, metaphor in your book where you, yeah. where you say as long as you're on the default path, you're a good egg. And the moment you go and you, you go off the beaten path, you're a bad egg. And you consider yourself one because you think other people think that of you. But in a way, you are way more selfless by being out there and empowering and helping people than the people who climb the corporate ladder. Why do we still perceive it so so obviously wrongly in a society? <laughs> It's very powerful, right? It's hard to unsee that once you realize that. I think a lot of it was an industrial era in which countries really were grinding collectively to build massive industrial bases and needed tons of bodies to actually do that, right? Mm -hmm. So we needed to sort of be like programmed collectively to believe in these scripts. Mm -hmm. They no longer serve our world as completely as they used to. There are more options than ever. There are more types of work. There are more paths and possibilities, right? And from what I've seen, people that are betting on themselves, working on their own, I'm talking like indie consultants, solopreneurs, self-employed, they're owning all the downside of their path, reputationally and financially. And that typically makes them more vulnerable and from what I've seen, even though many of them have less money, much more generous. Mm-hmm. And I don't know if there's a self-selection thing with that, but I sense it has something to do with the vulnerability of being on a weird path. Yeah. And so, yeah, I think for me, I was incredibly selfish um, on the default path because really I couldn't come up with a point other than I would make more money and that would make some parts of my life easier. Right. Um, but I'm a I'm honestly a nicer person now. I think I'm more generous. Um, I think I've grown much more in the last six years than I've did in the first 10 after graduating. And for me, it's been just a beautiful opening of my life and to meet other people like you who are embracing that open spirit motivates me even further. Mm -hmm. Likewise, I, I think your generosity and just showing up here today, is amazing (laughs) so thanks for that but also just talking about these things in public and making people aware of that that is itself by in itself a generous act right because you could use your time to optimize whatever kpi you come up with right that could be the time you spend but you choose to talk about things and that that brings me to something I, i was just she was thinking about generosity and not focusing on numbers you know, because you could make more, but you're not, you are choosing to do something else. But still in our community, indie hackers, creators, 
like MRR figures and graphs that go up and to the right, they are all super important still, right? It's still what we project out outwards. Like even in our solopreneur community, we kind of act like we're these huge businesses on the growth trajectory to wherever, you know, like it's, it's so weird how we use these, these default path mental models and kind of try to cram them into our unique own pathless path, like life that we have. Does that mean that it's a continuum or does it just mean that we are kind of looking at the wrong side of things? Um, I think I did a lot early on to share my journey financially. Mine income went from this to this. It went from <laughs> okay, like so it's, 150 it's not grand. to the right. <laughs> yeah, not up and to the right. Yeah, and I try to share the over time. I think the challenge is you don't get a lot of attention until your numbers start going up, right? So less people paid attention. I was sharing my income. I have like my total income generated by year. Um, I made 150000 in my last year of full-time work. Then I made $47,000 US, $47,000, $35,000, and then $77,000. That's income generated. That does not include expenses or taxes, right? So I was making much less than those numbers. And if you look at that, like nobody is like, I want that path. <laughs> right. Yeah, because it's, it's always more, 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 right? I had the time of my life. I bet. Th that, those years were so fun. I was finding work I was falling in love with. And at that point in the journey... I was pretty much like, and I had met my wife at that point and she was fully on board. I was like, let's live a very minimalistic life and like protect our time and freedom. And she was on board, right? We sort of figured out like if we stay in Taiwan, we can make about 30 to $40,000 a year US dollars and like live the life we wanted. Um, and that just makes people unhappy, <laughs> Because, like, they'll look at my recent income and be like, well, you can say this because of this. And it's like, well, just go back. Like, you can read all my newsletters. Yeah, um, yeah you did that and, in public too, right? Yes. Yeah, and I don't really care if my income falls again. Like, I'm not actually orienting my time to make my income go up. For the last 11 weeks, I haven't worked more than five hours a week. Because I have a newborn daughter. And, like... That time is priceless and it's been amazing. I hung out, I woke up at eight today and hung out with her until 30 minutes ago. <laughs> Aww. Well, so, kinda, I'm kind of sorry that I interrupted that with this uh, recording now. That is, it's uh, okay. It's, mom, mom was getting, <laughs> my wife was getting jealous. She wanted, <laughs> she wanted baby time. Oh, good. <laughs> that makes me feel much better. I, I love this. I love to hear that your priorities are so obviously oriented towards something bigger than tracking a metric. And um, in, in many ways, I've been looking into the tweets that you wrote and the tweets that were written about you over the last couple of days. And a lot of people talk about how much money you're making with the book because you're starting to sell more and more of this, which is kind of, it's almost ironic in a way, right? Like had they read the book it's or very, if they, if they read the book. It's very weird. <laughs> it's, yeah, it, it is. I mean, it's great that this is now generating a lot of attention, which is compensated, you know, in 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 cash that comes back in from uh, from Amazon and all the places that you sell it. But it's bizarre that people still focus on this. That this is the impact that they can tangibly relate to. I wish that was different. I don't know how you feel about yeah, this, but I, I wish think, money wouldn't matter that much. I think the cool thing about my book is I did it. Uh, from the start, I said, if I want to, if I'm going to succeed, I want to do it a hundred percent on my own terms. And I did the entire book my way and self-published. And if you succeed with a self-published book, you make about five to seven books, a copy, which can be very financially uh, rewarding. And the cool thing with that is if I inspire people to write a book, that's amazing, right? If the money will inspire them, that's so cool because making a money from a book is pretty amazing. Like other stuff can get super scammy. Like people can hack together a course and put together something pretty scammy. You can't fake your way through writing a book. <laughs> yeah, that's right. 
Right. So it's kind of a cool thing to make money on. Like that's the one thing where I'm most excited to make money is because I know other books are going to be written because of it and I can't wait to read them. Yeah, I I can relate to this. A couple of people have come up to me and uh, explained to me that my just my my kind of writing in public of the books that I wrote just inspired them to write to begin with. Maybe not books. Some people did, but most people just started newsletters or blogs. And I'm thinking that is equally awesome. Like the fact that somebody periodically yeah. reaches out to people they care about that share the same goals and same ideas and are on similar yet different paths altogether. That just that is one of the best things that I think ever happened to me is to see that that I actually gave somebody it's like what you said you have this wonderful phrase in the book where you talk about permission you just have a line in there i give you permission to do whatever you want i, give, I paraphrase <laughs> but you kind of say if you need permission i i give you permission <laughs> and some, sometimes people all just need this they just need this little push of yeah you you know you can write like you, you literally write every day when you're on social media you don't consider it writing but it is writing you, you you're trying to teach people something right might just as well consolidate that into a blog post or a newsletter or a book so do it you can so he, i allow you to do this i love that part of the book because i hope that this particular part just kindles this this little reframing in in people's minds and that's that's sometimes that's all you need yeah you can just do things and this is the cool <laughs> yeah. thing about writing writing online too especially newsletter format you can look back at my old issues and see like my uncertainty, my discomfort, my small following, my meager financial earnings. It's all there. And the weird thing about having some extrinsic success is people will start putting you on a pedestal. Maybe this has happened to you. They think I know something or like I have some special abilities. It's like, no, I just stupidly did something I enjoyed for years, didn't expect anything from it, and now I'm having some serendipity and luck. I have no idea how to do that. Like, I couldn't have come up with a strategy. And that's why my book has no how-tos. There's, like, some high-level challenges at the end, but there's no how-tos because the truth is the only path is your path. Yes. Yeah. And and I think that makes the book even more powerful and, and almost more actionable because there is nothing that you can try to implement and then fail. <laughs> you know, like these these it's like a recipe where you don't have the ingredients. It's not going to help you. And if you try to use different ingredients, it's not going to be the thing that comes out that you wanted. So giving people just the, the, the broad concepts, and that's like the last chapter in your book, like these eight or nine steps, just one of them is reflect. Like obviously, right? That that is that is something very basic. But if you forget to actively think about where you are and where you want to go, if you just follow whatever other people give you, well, then you'll never find your own way. So it there, there are they are actionable steps, but they are unspecific enough for people to find their own version of it. I really like that. And what I what I absolutely like about um, your writing is you, you write about writing, which is always great. It's always great when people write and then write about how they learn to write or how they found writing. And for you, it was um, related to your health issues that you had at a certain point, right? It was kind of cathartic. You were dealing with pain. You were yeah. dealing with struggle. And you wrote your way out of it. And in, in you have this, this Quora post example where you wrote an, a, a lengthy Quora post, a reply to somebody's question about these health issues. And you notice that the responses coming in where people were like extremely happy that you, that you gave them the opportunity to learn from your experience. You were empowering others by writing. That is something that I, I, I really appreciate. Like how, how important is writing to you? Yeah, that the personal side is the most meaningful uh, that was such that was such a relief to publish that on Quora because it helped me make sense of what I went through. I, I went through a really hard time with some health crises and writing was the only way I knew how to make sense of it. And I think when I shipped that essay, I was able to let go of some of the resentment I had toward what I was seeing as lost years of my life, the prime of my 20s. I more or less lost two years to a day-to-day -day suffering of physical issues and the mental challenge that went with that. And yeah, I, but I didn't notice at the time that, oh, writing maybe could be something that's part of my life. It was always just like, yeah, I'll do it here and there. 
And then it snuck up on me. Over the next three years when I returned to work, I wrote on the side, and it was where the flood of energy and sense-making of what was happening to me was going. And, yeah, it's it's such an amazing thing. I mean, so many people fall in love with writing. And when you do, it, there's really no choice. Like, you have to write. And yeah. for me, writing is easy because... Like spending time with my daughter, writing was the only thing I felt like I had to do. And I just missed it. I don't have a complete life unless I'm writing, I don't think. All the other work, eh, I'm fine. I don't need to do it. I'd rather go broke and be writing in the middle of nowhere at a beautiful mountain or something. <laughs> yeah, Walden's Pond, right? Yeah, um, the, I, I very much resonate with this. Like, if, if I may, like, give you an example of how this exact same thing happened to me. Like, when, when, when we were yeah. in the final year of Feedback Panda, the software business that we sold, I was under like heavy burnout. And, and you've talked about burnout too. And I really like the way you phrased it as like an alignment problem between your individual goals and the company goals and internally between what you think you want and what you think you need. We could unravel this. That alone was a wonderful way of expressing burnout because it exactly describes what I went through. But it was the end of um, an era for me because we were selling this business and I was mid-burnout and I started writing. I needed some cathartic way out of this. I was like constantly under stress, permanently anxious, the only technical person in the business who could deal with whatever may come. And we had thousands of customers. So there was always something going on. I had a lot of, you know, I, I was overwhelmed and uh, I was mid burnout, close to burnout. I still don't know, never really diagnosed it, but I was there. And I wrote this 10,000 word piece. The first thing I ever wow. wrote, because English is my second language and I, I never really wrote much um, in terms of articles or anything, but I, it, I just started writing about, I think, like mental health issues for bootstrapped CTOs. I think that was the title. And I just poured out everything, like every single thing that I felt went onto the page and I never published it. Like, because we were mid selling the business. I'm not going to publish an article about how hard it is to run a business while you're trying to negotiate a good price. <laughs> that doesn't make sense. But what it, what it helped me was to, to crystallize my thinking. And I think that's what writing is in its purest essence is uh, intentional thought. Like, it's not thought that just happens. It's thought crystallized into a shape where you can retrieve it and, and mold it and shape it, right? That's what writing is, which is also why I will never give up writing. It's going to be just like you, the last thing that I give up. I, I will join you at, at that pond or that mountain that you're hanging out in. I'm just going to co-write stuff together because that will be like, th that is why I live is because I can, I can do this at this point. And later, a couple months after we sold, I revisited this article and I thought, I quite enjoyed this, not just for the catharsis that it gave me, but for the I, because I, I solved a couple problems while writing the article. Right, I, I thought a couple about a couple of scalability solutions, how to deal with certain you know customer service problems and automations. That all came to me while writing, and I thought, oh, I'm going to keep doing this. This is fun. Started my blog, started writing, started newsletter, wrote a couple books. That's where my journey came from from a mental health issue that I wrote my way out of. Just wanted to share that with you because it feels like you very similarly found writing to be the the catalyst for a, a journey of teaching, which is kind of cool. I <laughs> just wanted to share that. Yeah, I think I want to live an intentional life. And yeah. one way to avoid bullshitting yourself is to ship out your intentions to thousands of people. <laughs> It was yeah. hundreds at first, but I felt like, okay, if I'm going to say these things, I need to do these things. So I've done all sorts of experiments over the last six years, and it's been a really interesting way of keeping myself accountable. The After a month of launching my book, I think I sold like 300 copies or something. It was an absolute success. Why? Because in the final months of writing it, I sort of like broke down in tears and like, I connected a few pieces in the book and pulled some pieces together, wrote the introduction, and it was just like an enormous release of tension and realizing like how scared I was to really admit that this shit matters. Like being a like living a life where you do what you claim to care about, it matters. And I 
I was so scared to say that. I had all these voices, adults I grew up around who would cynically say, oh, you're just naive. You got to work, buddy. Like I had all these voices in my head and I, I was small and I was scared. And what the book enabled me to do was actually show up in my own life and not be afraid of what people would say. Like I, I was living as if it, it mattered, but I was small and scared, right? It, it reminds me of the, the Erich Fromm, Frommel quote or from quote that you that you put in there, like the freedom from freedom to, right? You're, yeah. you're free from oppression. You're free to express yourself, and that that is something that uh, I'm, I'm I studied political science in Germany, so that is a very strong uh, theme there how as do well. You, because how it, do you say his name? It, I got to improve my. Per- I gotta improve my pronunciation. <laughs> no, I mean you, you, it's, it's just like my name. I think my, my name in German is Arvid Karl, and in English it's Arvid Karl, right? So you have these. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> I gotta improve my German. It. But yeah, it's 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 Erich Fromm, and Erich Fromm talks about the two kinds of freedom, right? The freedom from or freedom from, which means like you're you, you're not exposed to something, and you, the other part is agency which is something that is the freedom to the freedom to do something that is allowed for you to do. And I, I really resonate with this because ever since I, I left my last job as a, as a software engineer, I've been living the freedom to life quite a bit. And it's scary. It is a scary thing. Yeah. I, I, that, and that's kind of why I'm, I'm mentioning this here because you kind of have to find out. <laughs> so I think that's that's your your Oprah quote there. You have to find out who you are and then do it with purpose, right? The idea that yeah. you Dolly Parton. Oh, Dolly Parton. Sorry. Yeah, that's right. You yeah. have to figure out who who that who you are, um, who who that person is that will go on the journey. And most of us don't really know this. Like um, you, you go into a life and you have these stories by your parents, by your grandparents. That, that's my story too. Like you have, you had very supportive grandparents. I also had very supportive grandparents, but they were raised in, in Eastern Germany. They were raised in the German Democratic yeah. Republic. And to them, finding a job and not talking about what you're doing because otherwise people might get jealous. That was the epitome of a good life. And that was what they instilled in their kids and what their kids instilled in their kids, which is me. So I had to do a lot of unlearning when I became an adult of the things that were taught to me as this is how you live a stable, safe, and good life. And then finding out that I'm actually a different person that will openly share a lot of things that my my grandmother, she already passed away, but she would pass away again if she knew how much I share about my life. That's kind of how I feel. She would probably like it still because I could explain it to her and she would see the resonance that I'm getting, but that that would freak her out. Like whenever we talked about money and we rarely talked about money in my family, it was like never ever mention what you have because somebody else might take it. Because that was the system that they came up on, right? And unlearning this, whew, quite the challenge. And probably a challenge for many people today who come from, you know, like uh, multi-generational immigrant families that come from a, a different culture and that kind of stuff. Well, it's real too, right? Uh, to stand out in Eastern Germany was extremely risky, yeah. right? And that's not serving us anymore though, right? And yeah. I think... Scripts about how to live your life are always changing. I just sense right now that the the scripts that emerge after World War II, because they were in response to these large-scale, massive national country industrial systems, are even more powerful than we've had before. For most of humanity, adapting to your conditions was the natural way. For our generation... Living out your parents' idea of how the world works is the normal route, right? Because our world is so safe. (laughs) When the world isn't safe, you're an idiot not to adapt. When the world is safe, if you don't adapt, you're likely going to please your parents and make them feel comfortable. It's been surprising to me how many people get uncomfortable just based on my life choices, even if I'm not talking about it. They'll unprompted, they'll unprompted bring up like, don't you think like people should work in a job? And it's like, I didn't say anything. What, yeah. what are you talking about? <laughs> I think people should do what's best for their life. Right. 
<laughs> that sounds like a lot of projection is happening there. But yeah, in, yeah. In, in, of in, in some way, this you could argue to all of us. Yeah, exactly. That's that. That's the problem, right? I, I was I was gonna say like you could probably argue that they're at least a little bit curious about it because they're asking a question. They're not telling you that Maybe. you're wrong, but it is still the programming that comes from society and from your your parents and and from your school, right? That that gives you. The baseline, the default that you then maybe question or at least ask why the other person does not live that life. Yeah, that's, I, I love what you, what you wrote about with the boomer generation and like the, how, how the life that they are leading is the anomaly. <laughs> I think that's what you yeah. just said too, right? Where adapting is the standard. Like every, that's the thing. Like every single sci-fi movie, every single fantasy story that we read is about people living a weird life that they always have to adapt to. So if you look into the narrative, like even Joseph Campbell with, like, you know, the, the, the monomyth and right. all that, that is a story of adapting, of overcoming, of finding, finding help, finding guidance, having a nemesis, having an enemy, right? It's, it's always a struggle. Like every human story is a struggle. And then there's these weird 50 years or so where everything is great <laughs> and, and we consider this to be the new normal. I'm, I'm quite frightened for the financial systems of the future because I think the <laughs> systems we have right now are built on our expectation that this great phase is going to keep on growing and going to establish itself forever. Yeah. And this is the weird thing about like saying people are privileged to take an unconventional path because when you take an unconventional path, you pretty much always face criticism um, yeah. lack of, lack of support from family members. Um, you lose friendships and it's, it can be pretty shitty. And this comes back to what we were talking about at the beginning, which is that this is why finding the others is so important. And this is where, why I share my work. Um, and I'm out there in public because it's a generous act to share your work because you might let the others find you. Right. And this is important. We need more experiments in living. There's this, uh, I listened to this podcast, the Align podcast with Aaron Alexander, and he interviewed Boyd Vardy. Have you listened to Boyd Vardy? No. He's a lion tractor. He's gone through all sorts of trauma in his life, crazy life story. But he says, to become someone who lives on the track of your life, is what it means to be a modern activist, right? We we mistake modern activism with like having an impact, right? Working in social responsibility, nonsense. To become someone who lives on the track of your life. So you work out what it would mean to go inward and find your way to your gift, your purpose, your essence. It's incredible what happens around a person that's found that. And at a deeper level, when you're around someone that's really in their essence, really in their mission, you can feel it in them. There's something about their life that you look at it and feel yourself lean forward in your chair and you feel like you can just feel the depth of it and it starts to wake you up to what's possible. Like, I think that's it. That's everything. Like, live true to the track of your own life. That, that, that's what I, and honestly, that's what I feel when I listen to you because I, I even, even though it's just been six years, you have found something, right? And, and that 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 is something that is incredibly valuable because most people are looking for that, but they haven't found it yet because they don't know how to look for it. They don't know. Like I, I was I was thinking earlier when you were saying like the you, you wanted to change things in your life, but the only thing you you did was changing jobs because that's the only thing you could fathom yeah. changing. Right. <laughs> that's that reminds me so strongly of the Overton win window that we have in society, like the things that we are allowed to discuss right there's, there's stuff that was taboo on the left and taboo on the right and everything in the middle that is you're allowed to talk about it and you're allowed to discuss it and criticize it but anything beyond it beyond those those barriers to the side that's that's off limits and i think there is a, a mental overton window for how we live our life and we, we talk about a lot like oh career progress and i'm gonna go to work in that firm and then i'm gonna find that job i'm gonna go to this school to get these kind of degrees and you have a lot of choice and a lot of option and people min-max all these little things. But just in that really narrow frame, what you do and what you've found is a way to expand the window. And I think that is incredibly powerful. And I'm extremely grateful that you're sharing this with me today, obviously, but in the book and in your your newsletter, in your work. Um, I want more people to to be exposed to this, which is why I'm talking to you and which which is why I'm I'm highlighting your work wherever I can. 
and I want people to find their own way so I can learn from them. As that's kind of my yeah, selfish approach exactly. to, to sharing. I need people because, too. Right? You, that's, I think that's one of the last things you, you say in the book as well. It's like, yeah, I, I'm doing this not just out of the goodness of my heart, although there is so much generosity, but it's, it's also something that, that gets back to you. There's reciprocity in this. There's a, an actual relationship between the people that are on the journey. And, and that to me is sharing in public, building in public, teaching in public. That gives you this reciprocity where you get something out of it eventually. It's a long game. It's the infinite game that you play. And I'm, I'm sorry. You can probably tell I'm excited by this because I feel this Love is it. something that, that just, if more people even just consider it for a little, that will massively impact their life. So yeah, thank you so much for being here today. I, I, I cannot express how much I, I enjoy this conversation with you. Well, you're a generous human. I appreciate your curiosity and sharing as well. I uh, I think the core thing like I'd leave people with is there is a state you can find in which you are so connected and so alive with a state of being, a type of work, a way of showing up in the world that is so powerful, it's worth finding. Like, I don't know how to find it. That's the thing. I don't know how to find it. It's hard. It's confusing, but it's worth finding. And if you find it, I can't promise you'll make money from it, but you'll find a different relationship to self in the world in which you might go places you can't even imagine. Absolutely. Well, the, the next place people should go is probably somewhere where they can find you. So, so where do you want people to go to learn more about you and your work? So I explore people's stories like yours. Um, you should definitely come on the podcast, the Pathless Path podcast. I've been leaning more into that. But yeah, my my book is basically my super raw, vulnerable um, journey um, with all the missteps and failures along the way. So you can check that out. Just search the Pathless Path Paul or boundless.substack.com for my newsletter. And yeah, I write most weeks. Some weeks I take it off and uh, yeah, you can find me. And you should find Paul. Like it, he is—he's <laughs> worth every every minute you spent with him, as evidenced by this one-hour-long conversation. Thank you so much, Paul, for joining me on the podcast today. That was an amazing and extremely instructive conversation. Thank you so much. Appreciate your support. <laughs> And that's it for today. Thank you for listening to the Bootstrap Founder. You can find me on Twitter at Avid Kahl, A-R-V-I-D-K-A-H-L. You'll find my books on my Twitter course there as well. If you want to support me and the show, please subscribe to my YouTube channel, get the podcast in your podcast player of choice, and leave a rating and a review by going to ratethispodcast.com slash founder. Any of this will truly help the show. So thank you very much for listening and have a wonderful day. Bye-bye.